France Authority, here on AM 1420, The Answer. 11 minutes after 10, we're going to forego our traditional Reagan open to the top of the hour uh, so we can get right back into the work at hand. We went a little bit long with um, Congressman Jim Jordan, and I apologize for that. Not. Uh, he's always great to talk to all the way to and past the finish line. Uh, all right, so hour number two is guest free. So it is time for you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. I want to do a little politics to start hour two. Politics meaning not discussion of news from politicians, but politics meaning the uh, act of campaigning for and running for office and holding elections. That's what politics is if you're looking for a more narrow definition. Anyway, um, we're looking for someone to replace Rob Portman in 2022 when he, uh, of course, his seat is up for grabs because he has decided he is not going to run for re-election. I, for one, am glad of that. No disrespect to the man as a man. I think Rob Portman is a very good man with with good character. I just think he's been a pretty average to below average senator. He has not been uh, the stalwart conservative that we need in the United States Senate from the state of Ohio. We've already got one far left progressive nut job named Sherrod Brown there. We need somebody to kind of counter that nut jobbiness with uh, with constitutional principles. Uh, and and Rob Portman, quite frankly, is uh, is too too rhino for me. It's one of the reasons I told Jane Timken, former ORP chair, uh, who has announced her candidacy and is off and running and raising tons of money. She's going to be the leader. Make no mistake about it. Coming out of the gate, she is the leader because she's got the backing of her former uh, organization, the ORP, now run by Bob Paduchik, who was a Trump campaign uh, uh, advisor and aide. Uh, now he's running the ORP, and uh, Jane Timken is probably going to get a Trump endorsement which really is going to be troubling for me because I don't believe that she is necessarily, she, at least she hasn't convinced me that she's the true conservative that I need. And that's what I asked her. I asked her that on Friday when I had Jane Timken uh, on the program. It was the very first thing that I asked her, in fact. I said, are you the uh, full-on you know, conservative uh, candidate that, or conservative senator, rather, that I'm looking for. Would you be that conservative senator? And she said, yes. I'm going to let you decide for yourself if she's convincing of that. I'm going to play some of that interview with you, for you in just a moment. But to that end, there has been a new name that has been bandied about here, and that is Mike Turner, U.S. Representative Mike Turner. Mike Turner has not announced his campaign for the Senate yet, but he is clearly thinking about it. Otherwise, his team would not have released this three-minute video touting his accomplishments in the U.S. House uh, and uh, talking about his background and preparation to perhaps lead in the United States Senate. Give this a listen. After fighting for independence in the Revolutionary War, Mike Turner's grandfather five generations back, Roger Turner, planted roots in the hills of Appalachia to start a family. The Turners stayed there until Mike's father left high school to find factory work and a better life in Dayton, Ohio. Mike earned his second-degree black belt and taught Taekwondo to pay for college expenses. Mike excelled at Taekwondo and was appointed head of the U.S. national team at the World Championships. After earning a JD MBA, Mike practiced corporate law. During that time, he was elected mayor of Dayton, becoming the first Republican mayor in over 20 years. He balanced the city's budget and turned the city around. Mike was elected to Congress, taking a seat that had been held by Democrats for over two decades. Mike wins because of his tireless work ethic. 
He won re-election despite the generic ballot showing D plus 15. Mike won in 2020 with over 58% of the vote. When Mike joined Congress, he immediately began focusing on national security and our men and women in uniform. Mike has been a national voice for U.S. defense and foreign policy. He was elected president of the NATO Parliamentary Assembly, and he fought the Obama administration's sequester. He led Republican efforts to rebuild our military and protect our warfighters. He is a commanding conservative voice in Congress, fighting to protect our families, our values, and our country. Mike delivers the message to the national media. Congressman Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. Mike Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. Congressman Michael Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. Mike Turner. Representative Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. Congressman Turner. Mike Turner. Mike Turner. Congressman Mike Turner. You did the country a great service today, Congressman. You cut through the clutter. You got to the truth. We had a great match. Well, and you know what? You did a service to your country. Thank you for your hard work. Mike Turner strongly defended President Trump when Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff started impeachment. These are real warriors. I'll tell you another one. Mike Turner. Do we know Mike? Huh? Hell of a lawyer. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for all the help, too. Ohioans know Mike has been fighting for Ohio, upholding the Constitution and protecting our country. Thank you for those who've encouraged me to seek the United States Senate seat. I have successfully fought for jobs, our communities, our national security, and yes, America first. It takes a strong voice, a proven and tested conservative voice, to win for Ohio. Thank you for your support for me to be that voice, to fight for Ohio and to fight for our country. Congressman Mike Turner of the great state of Ohio. Sir, thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah, he's done a great job. All right, so that, you know, you heard him there. He said, thank you to everybody who has encouraged me to run. But by the way, I didn't say I was running. That three-minute uh, video, which is kind of to feel people out, is, is a clear indication he's going to make an announcement, and that's okay. Uh, I also firmly believe that Mike Gibbons, uh, another uh, uh, private businessman who is just who ran, obviously, against Sherrod Brown uh, a few years back, a couple of years back, rather, when uh, Jim uh, Renacci uh, also was drafted by the White House to sort of run. Uh, Renacci beat Gibbons in the primary there, then ran and lost to Sherrod Brown. But Mike Gibbons, I know, has his eyes on this seat as well. Josh Mandel has already announced and is off and running with a campaign. Uh, Bernie Moreno has recently announced that he is going to be a candidate here. And, of course, I, I already talked to Jane Timken. We're going to try to talk to as many of these people as humanly possible. But Mike Turner might be that guy. Mike Turner might be that conservative. He is extremely well regarded uh, for his conservative work in the U.S. House, and he's extremely well regarded for his time as uh, uh, mayor of Dayton. Uh, so I know a lot of people, a lot of strong conservatives say, who say if Mike Turner gets in, and of course that video indicated he's gonna, but he isn't yet. If Mike Turner gets into this race, that's their guy. Others are fully behind Josh Mandel. I haven't heard as, as much or enough about Bernie uh, Moreno yet, uh, or like I said, Gibbons until he makes a you know, public statement about this. He hasn't really done that yet. I've talked to Mike Gibbons privately, and I know there's going to be some kind of an announcement coming sooner rather than later, but it hasn't been made yet. And then, as I mentioned, there's the uh, ORP chair, former ORP chair, Jane Timken, who I interviewed on uh, on Friday. So when I interviewed uh, uh, Jane Timken, I asked her, as I said, a couple of important questions. 
The first of which was, um, are you the, you know, the conservative uh, senator that I'm looking for? Because I'm only interested in true conservatives. I didn't think Rob Portman was conservative enough. And here's how uh, here's how that went. I've wanted someone who was a true conservative to sit in that Senate seat, to represent Ohioans, and most importantly, to be a part of a conservative majority that is going to restore, you know, the, the liberties, uh, that have been taken away from us in this republic. So are you that true conservative I'm looking for? I am. And look, I have a record of standing up and fighting back. As you know from my history, I stood up and ran for chair against John Kasich's hand-picked chairman with the endorsement and support of President Trump, and I cleaned up the ORP, and I turned it into a well-oiled machine that delivered conservative victories time and time again. That's the kind of person I am. I will not sit on the sidelines. I will get into the fight. We need someone who's going to stand up for our conservative principles, and someone's going to Washington to, to push back on the Democrats. What's happening to our country is un-American. But that's not where that part of the conversation ended. There had to be a follow-up to that. And there was. And if you missed it on Friday, I'll share the rest of that with you coming up right after this timeout. It's 1020. This is the authority on AM 1420, The Answer. If you're on hold, good. Stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. Coming to you and coming to you with a little bit more of the Jane Timken conversation next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1024, I want to uh, give you a little bit more of this before I go to your phone calls because um, I held a very, what I felt was illuminating conversation with um, former ORP Chair Jane Timken on Friday. If you missed that, uh, I want to make sure that you do hear it. The the next part of this is crucial, quite frankly, because like I said, I'm looking for a a true dyed-in-the-wool conservative to sit in that seat, not a rhino who's going to pretend. Because we had enough of that with Rob Portman, quite frankly. And so this was the next part of my interview with uh, Jane Timken. Decide for yourself. To this country now, and that's why I'm planning on going to the U.S. Senate and fighting for our country. Well, I'm glad we're talking to former ORP Chair Jane Timken, who is now a candidate for Rob Portman's Senate seat in the Republican, what is a crowded Republican primary field. Since you brought up President Trump and your support for America First, I'm still trying to figure it out. Maybe you can explain it to me if you are actually a Trump supporter. Um, everything you just said sounds great, but considering the trouble that you said you had figuring out, figuring out how you would have voted on the uh, article of impeachment, um, even after he left office, or at least after the election was over, um, you know, and you said that Anthony Gonzalez had a rational reason for voting to impeach him. I have to ask you directly, are you a Trump supporter for real? And how do we know for sure, given those comments about uh, Anthony Gonzalez, who turned his back on the president, turned his back on his party, turned his back on due process in voting along with the Democrats to impeach him? Well, let me be very clear. I disagreed with Anthony Gonzalez's vote. Uh, it was unconstitutional, and it's the Democrats who are lawless and wrong. I've made that very clear. Anthony Gonzalez is wrong. I've also called on him to resign because he cannot represent his constituents who are against that impeachment. So make that very clear. Well, well, if I we're going to make that very clear, but, but if I may, I apologize, but if we're going to make that clear, I want to make this clear. You made that call for his uh, resignation after you announced your candidacy for the Senate, Correct. 
Correct, but li- listen, Th- what I doesn't, said doesn't that kind of look, doesn't that kind of lean toward politics rather than principle here? You really need Trump's. Like I said, it's a crowded field. You need Trump supporters to vote for you in the Republican primary for this Senate seat. How do we know that you're not just appealing to? Okay, I really didn't mean what I said about Anthony Gonzalez having a good reason before. I think he should resign now. How do we know that's not politics rather than principle? As I said, I disagreed with Anthony Gonzalez's vote. I made that very clear. I have always been a supporter of President Trump. I've spent the last four years traveling the state of Ohio, advancing his agenda, talking about the great things that President Trump achieved for our country, the promises made and promises kept. I have been his supporter. I've been his strongest supporter in the state of Ohio. That is very clear. The people of Ohio know that I've been out there talking about President Trump for over the last four years and been his supporter. So I want to make sure that your listeners and the voters of Ohio understand that. Well, look, I, I appreciate that. But like I said, there there is some inconsistency there. When you said that Anthony Gonzalez, two things, actually, if you could respond to both these. Uh, number the first one will be that, you know, the chairs of several other state GOPs of the 10 Republicans in the House who joined the all of the Democrats to vote to impeach the president without due process. They censured their Congress members who voted that way here in Ohio. Even some county GOPs have done so. But the ORP that you chaired did not so number one why did you not hold a vote or issue a personal censorship of anthony gonzalez as uh, orp chair and then secondly you said that he had a rational reason for voting to impeach him what was that i said he he had his reasons i disagreed with his reasons don't put words in my mouth and let me make it very clear i stepped down as chair before we could have a meeting for censorship it is my understanding that is on the agenda for the next ohio republican party meeting under the leadership of Bob Pudichek. And look, okay. we need well, someone well, who's going to go to I don't want to put TV words in your mouth, so I'm just going to read the quote, okay, if I, if I can, from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Their quote was, and you can tell me if they misquoted you, I think he's got a rational reason why he voted that way. So it's a specific uh, A reason. Do you know what that reason is? I have no idea what his reason. I What I said was I, he had his reason for his vote. I disagree with his reason. I just want to make that very clear. I never supported the impeachment. I never supported Anthony Gonzalez's vote. So when you, they also quoted you as saying you don't know how you would have voted. Is that up in the air for you? Why, why would you no, not know? No, it is know? not. Would you, in other words, why wouldn't you just say, well, of course I would not have voted to impeach him. That's ridiculous. I, I, I had made that very clear. It was ridiculous. I repeat it again. The impeachment was lawless. And I will go to Washington, D.C. and fight back against these lawless actions of the Democrats. They're the ones that we need to be fighting back against. All right, so that was um, that was a key part of the interview that I did with Jane Timken, the former ORP chair. Um, I, I, I told her at the time, and I'll say it again, she, she, she was not clear. She was not clear in any way. Prior to announcing her candidacy for the Senate, that she disagreed with Anthony Gonzalez. She said, and I read the quote again, that Anthony Gonzalez had a rational reason for his vote. She never said, I disagree with his reason, whatever that may be, but he has one. She never, ever, ever, ever said that. She also did not call for his resignation until after she became a candidate. So, uh, and I'm going to be point blank honest with you here. 
Um, I'm looking for a true conservative for that seat. I don't see one in Jane Timken right now. Maybe in the next year and a half she can change my mind. I'll give her a chance to. And I intend to talk to Bernie Moreno. I intend to talk to Mike Gibbons. I intend to talk to Josh Mandel. I intend to talk to Mike Turner. I intend to talk to every one of them that I can, and I will give them all the tough questions, whatever they may be, but I'm going to try to find a true dyed-in-the-wool conservative senator for the state of Ohio. And I'm going to reach out to as many people as I possibly can with the, with that messaging, with the questions, with the answers. And uh, and right now I'm looking for a conservative, and I haven't heard one yet that I've talked to personally, um, you know, at least uh, that I'm 100% convinced of. I've talked to Josh Mandel. That's not to disparage him. Uh, he didn't say anything negative about Trump. He didn't say anything about supporting people who uh, 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 voted to... Uh, voted to impeach Trump, so you know there's there's some there's some angles there. I think that we're going to have to discuss with every single candidate, but that was the biggest one for me with Jane Timken. I would love to get your response to that at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five right here on the Authority. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 1036, we continue on AM fourteen twenty. the answer. Very much looking forward to the long-awaited uh, meeting tonight at the Strongsville GOP, the Strongsville Republican Club. Uh, tonight uh, at the Brew Kettle, 7 o'clock. You have to have a ticket to be there. I think it's all sold out, but if you can check, or if you want, rather, you can check with um, uh, the Strongsville GOP. Look for their Facebook page or just search them out on your search engine. Don't use Google. Uh, find uh, them if you want to be there, but we've got a lot of work to do tonight. We're going to talk about a lot of things going on in the state of Ohio, a lot of things going on nationally, including perhaps some of the politics, including this race. So you just heard part of my interview with Jane Timken from last week. I intend to interview all of the other candidates for the uh, Senate seat in the GOP primary. And I'll ask tough questions of everybody, but from what you've heard thus far, uh, give me your thoughts. Uh, let's go to Frank, who's calling us from Brook Park on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Frank. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. I think uh, in Congress and the Senate have to get together and use Webster's Dictionary when they're talking. And I'm thinking of a, particularly of the word infrastructure. Uh, as Webster defines it as a noun, the permanent foundation or essential elements of a structure, system, plan of operations, especially when you get into the essential installations of a community such as schools, hospitals, transportation, power plants. And then you go into bridge, and you see it's for helping people crossing a gap, a valley, vehicles, uh, you name it. Uh, it's also, by the way, this is for the Congress to think about, too. A bridge is also an observation platform or partial deck built across and above a ship's deck for the use of the officers, the pilots, and other individuals for safety and operation of the equipment. Now, that, those are bridges. And those are structures we're talking about, the bridge there of a ship. And uh, I just think they got to get more logical. Uh, Democrats and Republicans ought to know the English language better. Well, well, see, here's the thing here, Frank. You and your dictionary, you and your definitions, you're using the old definition of infrastructure because the new definition of infrastructure, according to Nancy Pelosi, I'll give you her direct quote speaking to CBS's Face the Nation. Quote, 
Infrastructure is about education, about getting children healthily in school with separation and sanitation and ventilation. It's about investments in housing as well. We also think about think that infrastructure, there's a need for, for workforce development in order to have the workplace fully participate in how we go forward, and child care so that women can be involved in that as well. So it's physical infrastructure. It's also human infrastructure that is involved. Now, that's Nancy Pelosi, and now let me give you Bernie Sanders. When I talk about infrastructure, it means if a worker, a mom and a dad are going to work, they have the right to know that their kids are in decent child care. That's infrastructure. Infrastructure is having the best educated workforce in the world. That means all of our kids should have the ability to get a higher education and not leave school deeply in debt. Infrastructure means that we need a healthy society. Our life expectancy is 40th in the world because we're the only major country not to guarantee health care to all people. And so I think as a nation, we've got to take a very broad look at what we mean by infrastructure. It's physical infrastructure, obviously, bricks and mortar, but it is human infrastructure. So clearly, Frank, you're just outdated, man. Where are you? Come on, man. You're looking at actual physical infrastructure. Don't you know that's not infrastructure anymore? Well, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> Somebody takes you out of context there and uses that. It says Bob France just said that, which he did. So, well, I, uh, certain, I certainly hope I certainly hope that anybody who hears me can hear my tongue planted so firmly in my cheek uh, that it's bursting through the other side. But these are direct quotes from these idiots who are moving yeah. the goalposts. They're they're literally yeah. trying to say that it's not about buildings and bridges and roads and and uh, uh, you know all the things that you just described. They're literally trying to justify spending two trillion dollars on Democrat pet projects uh, that they want to use to advance. Uh, uh, you know the Green New Deal and all the rest of their um, uh, their agenda. It has nothing to do with infrastructure, so they have to redefine it. Okay, yes. Frank. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Obviously, I'm on your side. You're right, and I'm glad you read the actual definition. But I wanted you to hear their definition because, uh, quite obviously, these people have an agenda. Either that, or they've lost their minds. Maybe a little bit of both. BJ is in North Olmstead on AM 1420. The answer, BJ. Welcome back. Go right ahead. Thank you, Bob. I have a very serious question for you to ask the uh, folks you're going to speak to this evening. How much tolerant are the conservatives going to be of the other side that's wrecking the Constitution, putting oil workers out of business, and ruining this country? Where do you draw the line with patience? Because they realize that the Republican Party or conservatives are extremely tolerant of their negative behavior, they're burning up cities, and they're threatening us. When they start to take the guns away, are people going to let them, or is there going to be resistance? And is that resistance going to be a war or a civil war in America? It's that serious in our country, and it, and I think there's too much fear in not recognizing the possibility of that. How tolerant is the fearless constitutional people that believe in this country and love this country are going to tolerate from the other side of ruining our country. Where do you draw the line? There's been a revolutionary war and a civil war. Is there going to be a saving war? And I ask that question because it's going to be in the hands of you younger people to decide the fate of America, the fate of America. And I really hope that you make a right decision in that, but tolerance is not going to be the answer. And thank you for your time. 
Thank you, uh, PJ, for a very poignant question, and it's obviously way too difficult and complex to answer in full right now, but I'll just say this. It will be if there is another war to come that involves physical confrontation between sides. It will be considered the second revolutionary war. The left will say they are revolting. They are committing acts of revolution against uh, an oppressive government. That's what they will say. And that repressive government, an oppressive government, is going to be the state governments all across this country that actually insist on secure elections, that actually insist on policing, that actually insist on law and order, that actually insist on education, not indoctrination, that actually insist upon the nuclear family being the building block of our continued growing society. They'll say that all of those things are unacceptable. Uh, and they must be overturned. And the Constitution that allows these people to do these things must be changed. That's why Joe Biden said that there is not any amendment that is absolute. So in their mind, they will be committing an act of revolution against an an oppressive governmental system. And they will want to build it again in the form of a real oppressive governmental system built and rooted in Marxism, socialism, communism. And they will see themselves as being the good guys. And those who resist will be the ones who who play the role in their minds of the British. The ones trying to hold on to the situation that has them in power. So they will consider it a revolutionary war. What it will be instead is an attack on this republic that remains thanks to the system of government that allows the states to make their own laws rather than everything being federalized. Thanks to state governments, 30 plus which out of 50 are controlled by Republican majorities and or Republican governors. Thanks to them, this republic is still the freest nation on the planet. Thanks to them, this republic still gives everybody of every color, every ethnicity, and every religious creed the opportunity to to succeed at levels unthought of in even Western European democracies. Nowhere else in the world, the Western world or otherwise, do people have opportunities like they do here. It remains that way. And it will remain that way as long as we can defend it. So there will be at some point, I don't know how close we are or far we are from it, but there probably will be a confrontational second revolutionary war, except that in this case we will be rooting for the existing government and not the quote-unquote revolutionaries, because the revolutionaries want to impose totalitarianism, not freedom. In this case, the existing government, the republic, is the one to root for because they will continue to defend those freedoms. That's the best way I can describe it. I may try to describe it in such terms tonight at the speech, but that's the best way I can describe it for now, BJ, and I thank you. Uh, From BJ to TJ, why the heck not? TJ, go right ahead. You're on the air, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, you were talking about the boycotting, and you brought up a good point. What if, like, both companies, uh, you know, take this stance? Well, here's my opinion on this. You pick one winner, you pick a loser. Say, like, Coca-Cola and Pepsi are on the same same thing. Yeah. Well, you boycott Coca-Cola, okay, until you bring them to their knees. And then after you brought them to their knees, then you turn on Pepsi. And you could do this with everybody. 
pick the winners and losers. They'll start to get the point. I always said this when they had, like, the gas boycotts. What they should have done was boycott, say, like, pick Sunoco for the next couple weeks. We're not going to buy that gas. We'll go to Shell. We'll go everywhere. But we won't go to Sunoco. And when their profits start to take a dive, then they start to wake up. This is the effective way to boycott. And sometimes we may have to lay in bed with the other side buying their product, but hurting, you know, uh, like Coca-Cola. I like my diet root beer. But you know what? I'm going to try to find a diet root beer from Cotton Club or Pepsi and just stop doing business with Coca-Cola. And then finally, when they've got... And and 75 million-plus people can bring them to their knees real quick. I guarantee, Bob. But this is the way to boycott. Let us pick the winners and the losers. Well, here's the thing, uh, TJ. I... I, uh... I don't disagree. Um, I question whether or not it can be truly effective when they all end up doing the same thing, as uh, Congressman Jordan said. You know, if I'm given a choice between Delta and American, I'll fly American. Well, until American makes the same woke statement and promises the same woke diversity uh, of, of, you know, did you see what Delta is doing as far as their pilots? Tucker had this on last week. They're, they're literally going to, in the next 10 years, they're, they're striving for a certain diversity, a certain, um, uh, um, affirmative action for their pilots to take not just the best, highest scoring pilots from pilot school, from their training program, but a certain number of them based on their color and their gender. So in other words, you might have somebody who's a little less equipped at handling an emergency in the air, but they look the right color for us. Um, that's what Delta's doing. So what happens when, when American and United and Southwest and, I don't know, pick the other the other airlines, they're all doing the same thing. We're kind of forced now. Now we can't just boycott. One, because they're all doing the same thing. And that's the danger here. When they had 100 CEOs getting together on this Zoom call that Congressman Jordan and I were talking about, uh, all strategizing how to you know, put pressure on and intimidate the various Republican state legislatures to loosen the voting restrictions um, so that cheating and fraud are rampant again, you know, when they all start to do that, TJ, we're kind of left with, uh, we got nobody left to boycott because it's all of them and we've got to travel. We've got to go from here to there. We've got to drink this. We've got to do that. That's the danger here is they're all uniting and there's power in their numbers. Well, that's the thing I'm saying, Bob. We can pick one to crush at a time. Okay. We can't, you know, you can't deal with all of them. That, you know, I, I agree with you. And as far as like Delta, that's all the more reason not to fly Delta, not a boycott, but for your personal safety. You know, that show on cable, Air Disasters, uh, they're going to do real well in the next few years when Delta starts this kind of, you know, policy. But what I'm saying is you pick one and you crush them. You crush them. Let their shareholders start, you know, uh, have uh, uh, pounding on them like, hey, we're losing money here. you got to do something. Uh, then once you pretty much crushed one, then move to the next one. You know, like jump around and pick. Yeah, but but but, but TJ, but TJ, do. here's here's the thing. You know that you've got to consider that I don't think you've put put uh, you know uh, together here is that when you when you boycott one, and you still need the the product or the services, you are then using the other. So while there is one that is starving for two weeks, another one is getting fat and happy for two weeks, and then when you boycott that one, well, they already have their reserves. They've got their revenues already generated from the hat, fat and happy time that you boycotted the other. And when you go to boycott them now, they're like, that's fine. We made four weeks worth of revenue during the two weeks that you were boycotting our competition. And so now we can wait out your two-week boycott of us. At some point, you know, if they're all doing this, 
they're all gonna they're all gonna be able to survive rotating or or uh, rolling boycotts. We have to find a way to change their policies beyond just you know short term boycotts. We have to, and most importantly, my friend, and thanks for the call, TJ. I got to get our time out here at ten fifty. Most importantly, um, we have to we have to go at them from a place that. Uh, you know that 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 is difficult. We have to go at them from a place of of intelligence, from a place of reason, from a place of rationale. We have to explain to them that it is not, you know, racist to ask for people to show an ID to vote. We have to convince them that the reason why Georgia voting uh, restrictions were put in place were not to stop people from from voting, but to actually encourage more voting and to to make sure that every vote is a counted vote and not every vote being canceled by a fraudulent vote that's on the other side to make sure that everybody's vote is counted at the same time and that things aren't kind of shuffled off shuffled off to the side and new ones shuffled in all of these things that we saw that were very very suspicious in November of 2020, we have to convince them that what we're trying to do is make sure that there is never a question about an American election outcome again. That democracy is thriving. It is believed believed in, and it can be relied upon. That's what we have to do here. Is we have to go at them with the facts. Can a boycott work? Sure. Unless every single company in a given product line or, or, or field is doing the same thing, then boycotting isn't going to work, and we're going to have to approach it another way. And I am open to other suggestions on what that other way is. 1052, right back. Ten fifty six, final segment of the authority. Don't forget, Mike Gallagher is coming your way at eleven o'clock. Uh, then you're going to get you some Charlie Kirk, some Dennis Prager, a little bit of Sebastian Gorka, then some Jay Sekulow live, then a little bit of Larry Elder. Unless you're in Strongsville tonight at the Brew Kettle for the uh, GOP Strongsville GOP meeting, I'm looking forward to speaking to the great folks there and looking forward to uh, uh, engage, engaging in some great conversation. Uh, let's take another call here. Sister Mary Grace is in Old Brooklyn. Good morning. God's blessings, Bob. I, and to I you just as well. praise God for you every day for telling the truth, and that's what it's about. They want to play the scam. Do you understand? Here, look at this, look at that, while they're doing other things. God is good every day, but you got to keep your mind and your body and everything focused on the foundation of your faith. And I'm all about Christ Jesus. That's why they well, call me Sister Mary Christ. I understand, and I'm with you. And you're right, we do. I mean, we do. We need God's grace more right now, I think, than ever, ever before. You know, listen, we and thank you for the call, Sister, and for your blessings. I appreciate that. I'm going to wrap this up with just a quick comment on that. I saw... Lordy, was it Red State? There was one of the sites that I visit on a regular basis when I prepare my programs. <clears throat> and I can't remember which one it is, so my apologies. I would like to give attribution. But the headline was something to the effect of, Our rights are under attack now worse than at any time in American history. Since the foundation of this, this republic and the declaration of our independence and the establishment of our constitution and so forth, the ratification. And... Um, we often, oftentimes become guilty of recency bias, right? What I mean by that is when there's a great football player in the National Football League, 
like Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs. He's been an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl all before the age of 24. And you'll get people in because of recency bias, meaning this is what I see in front of me right now, the most recent. He's unbelievable. There's nobody that's been like him before, and they'll declare him the greatest to ever play. And they don't have the context of history to rely upon to make statements like that. So we get guilty of recency biases in sports, in politics, in presidents, and yes, in just various um, times, eras, if you will, of our of our culture. And I want you to understand that it is not recency bias that leads me to agree with and to repeat that headline. This isn't just recency bias. And no, I didn't live through the 60s. I was born in 67. I didn't live through the Civil Rights Act. I have to go back and study history to understand it. And through that study, I don't think it's recency bias to say we have never been under attack more, our rights, than we are right now. We have a tyrannical, opaque regime that is telling us that the Constitution is not absolute, that our amendments, our rights are not absolute, that they can take them at their whim and at their will. And that they can stop us from undoing the damage they've done by rigging our elections. We are under attack unlike any other time in our history. And it's not recency bias to say so. Kirsten now joins us tomorrow. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Bye-bye.